Have you ever felt like there was no way? You ever encountered something in your life that looked impossible? Impossible. It cannot happen. Unable to be, unable to be done, utterly impractical and hopeless. Maybe you're facing something like that in your life right now. Maybe you know someone who is. Certainly as we think about and pray about things in our neighborhoods and our city as well, we can really look at things that are impossible. So what, what is a miracle? A miracle is a phenomenon, a wonder, a marvel. It's a supernatural occurrence. It's a violation of the laws of nature. Has anyone seen a miracle? I've seen a miracle. Last week we looked at the question, can God do the impossible? Today we're looking at a question that I think is important. Can we ask God to do the impossible? I think think God gives us a brain for a reason. I think that reason, even doubt, question, asking, searching for answers are friends to faith. They are a means by which we can build stronger faith. For me in my own life, I've faced impossible circumstances and faced this question. And that's what gave me the hope one day to lay my hands on a young man who had shot himself in the foot on accident over the weekend. He'd had medical care and was in a cast. I prayed for him, and he was healed. And he was jumping around. And he went in, and they took off the cast, and he was made whole. I've seen the impossible. But I think it's important to still ask, Can God do the impossible? What I believe is that a relationship with God can inspire big prayers. Prayers for big and specific miracles. Yesterday, I was thrilled to go on a prayer walk with believers in Baltimore City. We we started at the Baltimore City Public Schools Administration office on North Avenue and Some went from there to the family court building, and some went from there to City Hall. And we had an amazing time of prayer together. It is something else, the way that your faith can be built by coming to God, asking for things that are beyond your reach with other believers. But we got to ask the question, can God do the impossible? Can we ask God to do the impossible? Look at what God said through the prophet Isaiah. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they're still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayer. That's what God's like. That's what He does. He doesn't always do it. He makes choices too. Sometimes we don't understand the choices that God makes. But a strong, deep, positive, changing relationship with God doesn't happen if we're not willing to ask the questions. Jesus 
who we follow, right? City Harbor Church, helping people take next steps in following Jesus. Jesus encounters a man who had been born unable to see. We see the story in John chapter 9. And just like the case of Job we talked about last week, people ask, was it sin that resulted in this impossible thing? Jesus says, no, you are asking the wrong question. God will be glorified here and now. Jesus creates mud and He spreads it over the man's eyes and tells him to go and cleanse, wash his eyes in this pool that was in the city, this, this pool that was called Scent. Jesus sent him to the pool called Scent and said, wash your eyes. He washed his eyes and he was healed. People were freaking out. People didn't believe it to be true. They didn't believe it to be true. They took him to the religious leaders and they didn't believe it to be true. They were publicly accusing Jesus of being a sinner. They wanted to make a case. There's no way that this could happen. This must not be the same person. They went and got his parents. Is this the same person? This is the same person. And they're interrogating him. And watch what this man who had been healed said. We know that God is ready to hear those who worship Him and do His will. Ever since the world began, no one's been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man, Jesus, were not from God, He couldn't have done it. Look what He understands. God is ready to hear. Can we ask God to do the impossible? God says that He hears. We see the testimony of a man Jesus heals Say, God is ready to hear. Jesus gives us an example of a relationship with God as basis for being able to ask for miracles, big specific things. Watch this. Jesus is kind of funny. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if, you ask, if they ask for a fish to eat, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? Jesus has a relationship with God that goes back millennia. And He's helping them to understand who God is, what God is like, to help them know if they can ask God for that which is beyond their control. I love this quote. This is tweetable. This is St. Bede. God loves to be asked so that He can give. Think about that. What if that's true? How does that affect your relationship with God? You're getting real about what's impossible, what is beyond your ability to change, what is beyond the ability of anybody you know to help you, beyond the scope of medicine, beyond the scope of government, beyond the scope of the best professionals, beyond the scope of any help that you have available to you. When you are facing the impossible, let's take a lesson from St. Bede. God loves to be asked so that He can give. Jesus continues to teach Matthew 18, verses 19 to 20. I also tell you this. 
If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Think about this in the context of what we're talking about. A personal relationship with God inspires prayer for the impossible. And Jesus says where two or three get together identifying as Jesus' followers. Do you know that of all the things you can identify as, this is most important? When we get together, am I identifying as a Jesus follower? Because if we get together and I identify as a Jesus follower, Jesus is there with us. We can't separate any of these verses, any of these principles from the context of personal relationship. God wants to have a relationship with you, interactions with you that are transformative. God welcomes you to come as you are and guarantees you will not leave the same. Are you ready? God wires us for relationship, gives us the opportunity to link up with other believers. Jesus is teaching them this because he knows what humanity is like. Remember, he set aside his divine attributes. When he came to earth, he has recognized that when people get together and agree on something, there's power there. A relationship with God inspires prayer for big, specific miracles. The book that's available on the table for free, Prayer, by Timothy Keller, we get this quote. Prayer is conversation with God. However, conversations can remain mere exchanges of information that do not lead to true personal encounter and relationship. We do not want to just know about God, but to know God, to seek His face and His presence. When we're new to faith, when we're new to interacting with God, listen, God loves us like children. It's okay to just, you know, ask for stuff. But as we grow in relationship with God, what we should be seeking is to actually be getting to know God for the relationship to be growing. If, if someone, I, I, I've had multiple jobs in my life. I paid my way through college selling carpet and also worked at a used tire shop. And there were some people that just knew I could change a tire, fix a flat, and there were some people who knew that I could sell them carpet. And then sometimes they would bump into me at church and they would ask me a carpet question. And there's nothing wrong with asking me a carpet question, but it's not building a friendship. It's not building a relationship. You know, we've got a doctor in my, in my biological family. And on purpose, I don't ask him medical questions at family reunions. I'm not saying, don't feel bad if you do that sort of thing. I'm not saying that's bad. What I'm talking about is the principle of building relationship. And what I'm saying is that when we're building a relationship with God, asking God for the impossible becomes easier. It becomes clear. It becomes less murky. We start to get less questions about what we should ask for and when we should ask it. Faith starts to rise inside of us, and I have not seen that happen without a person digging deep and actually building a personal relationship with God. I'm trying to help you today. Can you believe it? Can you receive it? It's the only way we come to statements like this that Jesus makes that just seem impossible to conceive. Speaking to his followers, Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. 
Jesus is teaching them. And they responded. We see a Roman officer who comes to Jesus. And on the road, he says, if you will just say the word, my servant will be healed. And what's Jesus' response? I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Yeah, Jesus like, got a little racial there. He's pointing to Jerusalem believers, Jewish-based believers, and saying, this guy gets it. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel because you believed it has happened. A relationship with God inspires prayer for big, specific things. John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this. I've written this to you, this letter. This is John chapter 5. As he's wrapping up. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. That's interesting. When we ask for anything that pleases Him. Somebody gave me a small and meaningful gift this week. Made me laugh. And was a notice that they get me. That they're paying attention to things that please me. Things that make me happy. It's kind of hard to give good gifts when we struggle to get to know people. But it's actually getting to know people that helps us understand what, what will please them, what would make them happy. And getting to know God, taking time to read the Scripture and learn about God, taking time to talk with God, taking time to listen to God is personal relationship. It helps us get to know God. Did you know that there are some things that make God happy and some things that make God angry? Am I, paying, am I getting to know God so that I can know if what I'm praying for would make God happy? It's an important principle. John continues, and since we know He hears us when we make our requests, we also know that He will give us what we ask for. John understood this principle, and he also understood the principle that many of us will die on this earth a natural death when we are one with God spiritually, and when Jesus returns, everything will be fulfilled. The victory of Jesus will be ultimate. Whatever healing you asked for will most certainly be complete on that day if it is not yet completed on this day. John understood that because he faced circumstances like we're going to talk about in a moment. C.S. Lewis in his little book, Miracles, wrote this. Miracles and martyrdoms tend to bunch about the same areas of history. Areas we have naturally no wish to frequent. It brings me to a story in Acts chapter 12. Ben, will you come up here and stand over here? Chris and Daniel, will you come and stand over here, please? Thank you, guys. So we're going to use an example this morning. I was going to have Ben Farrell come up. It's going to be a little bit more fun, but he's downstairs helping with the children. So we're going to pretend that Daniel is Peter. We're going to pretend that Chris is Ben Farrell. <laughs> They're both tall. Well, we're also going to pretend that he's James. James, the brother of John. And you'll notice when you read the stories that a lot of times Peter, James, and John are grouped together. And in fact, we see with transfiguration, Jesus is changed. 
And Peter, James, and John are the ones who are closest. So Chris is that James, the brother of John. James, the brother of John, that one of the three that was closest to Jesus most of the time. Daniel is Peter. Ben is another James. Ben is James who was also a brother of Jesus, a son of Mary and Joseph. Ben is James who did not believe at first that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. Remember we talked about on Easter how Jesus welcomed in doubt those who could not believe. So Ben represents a different James. Not that they had multiple personalities. These are actually two different Jameses. Ben represents that James who was the uh, son of Mary and Joseph who didn't believe in the identity of Christ at first, but who came to believe the identity of Christ later. Now, if you'll hang in there with me guys for a minute, we're going to look at a story from Acts chapter 12. No, stay with me. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, and he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. Chris, I'm sorry. Chris, so that James dies. That's a different James. Stay there for a second. You're dead. Okay, he's going to lay down. Now, I want you to imagine that you were this early group of believers in Jerusalem, the first church. How do you feel when this James is put to death? Not my James, right? Threatened. How does Peter feel? Why would God allow this to happen? Why? Why would God allow this to happen? I've asked these questions. I've had a friend very close to me, Joel, die suddenly. Wonderful husband and father. Amazing friend. Drop dead. Healthier than me. Stronger than me. A better pastor than me changing the nation of Japan, and he drops dead. Why, God, would you allow this to happen? That is the tip of the iceberg of what the Christians in Jerusalem are thinking when God allows this James to be put to death. Because it was Peter, James, and John who were closest. It was this James who had the most to teach us, the most to relay those quiet, private conversations with, with Jesus. But God allowed it to happen. Stay with me, Daniel, for a minute. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. This is a huge holiday. The city is packed. This is an amazing opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And what happens? This James is put to death, and Peter right here is put in jail. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of soldiers, of four soldiers each. We don't have 16 soldiers to stand around, Daniel, so we're going to pretend. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. They were feeling and asking the question, God, why? 
Why would you allow James to be put to death? But they got together and they prayed anyway. Because Peter was locked up. They got together anyway and they prayed. They didn't pray by themselves. They got together and they prayed. When we're asking God the question, why? Let's follow their example and come together to pray. They come together and they prayed very earnestly for Peter. The night before Peter was to be put placed on trial, he was asleep. Hang in there with me. Fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Now Daniel's asking why he's up here. Others stood guard at the prison gate. This is an impossible situation. It's impossible. Think about all those guards just keeping track of this fisherman. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. The chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. I don't know why he did that. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had let him out of prison. And here's what he said. Watch this. Tell James, this James, the brother of Jesus, who hadn't originally believed that Jesus was the Savior. Tell James and the other brothers what happened. And he went to another place. And Peter takes off. I don't know what that's about. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him, and when he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Watch this. Something horrible has happened. Something impossible happens in response to their prayer request. The testimony is shared. The faith continues. And the enemy leaves. The enemy leaves. Not only was Peter freed from prison and the testimony shared. And what happens? This James becomes the co-pastor of the church in Jerusalem with Peter. That's what happens. 
The testimony continues. The faith goes on. It's passed to new generations. And it goes around the world. Herod left. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Can we ask God to do the impossible? Even in the face of disappointment. Think about this now. When Jesus was raised from the dead, there was a bunch of people who were also raised from the dead at the same time. James wasn't raised from the dead. Sometimes God doesn't do what we wish He would do. And yet, a relationship with God can inspire us to pray and ask God for big, specific things, and God will do some of those things. God will respond. I want to go through a little bit more Scripture and come to what James has taught us. Some of you are familiar with these Scriptures, but I want you to think about them now based on this context. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Is God speaking? Is God speaking to his people about asking him to do things that are impossible for them? But you notice that it's within the context of right relationship with God, of where we confess where we have been wrong, and we make a change with his power. We also see this principle in the prayers of Daniel. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, the city of God has been taken over by Darius the Mede. They've been conquered. They're surrounded. They're surrounded by a military power. Does that remind you of the story we heard last week of Jeremiah? Watch what Daniel prays. Oh God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. Oh my God, for your people and your city, bear your name. Daniel says, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I am here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. The angel is saying God listens and God responds. God listens and God responds. Now let's watch what this James taught people about this kind of prayer after what he learned through that story we heard earlier. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working and produces wonderful results. 
Remember what we've learned about that word righteous. It means I'm in clean, pure, right standing relationship between me and God and between me and other people. He's saying when I'm in that place, when I'm walking in that place of purity, where I'm honest about my mistakes and I'm making changes, when I'm in that place and I'm asking God for what is impossible, for what I cannot do, I'm not talking about being able to pay a bill that you could pay if you stop buying a lottery ticket, if you stop buying extra rims for the car. I don't know, just a couple of random examples. I'm talking about the things that you can't do on your own, right? What does he say? The earnest prayer, that word was also used earlier to describe them when they were praying after James was killed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This grammar is, it is in the process. The process is going. As the prayer is being spoken, there is a process of what is happening, a progressive thing that is happening. And it produces wonderful results. Now watch this, this other stuff that James says in following to that thought. He gives us another example of someone who saw miracles, Elijah. Check this now. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Humans like you, humans like you can see miracles. We can see miracles. We can see miracles. Ian Bounds, one of the best authors on prayer, classics said this, prayer which is felt as a mighty force is the product of much time spent with God. Much time. Listen, I know life is hard. I know you can feel like I am too busy, but the reality is you're too busy not to pray. Your life matters too much to not pray. The quickest way for your spirit to die is to not pray. For you to experience spiritual death in your spirit is by not having a conversation with God. Whatever it is that is holding you back, whatever it is, you've got to work that stuff out. You've got to ask for help. You've got to get somebody involved in that trench with you. Do you hear me today? So that you can have quality relationship time with God. Quality time requires quantity time. A relationship with God inspires prayer for big, specific miracles. Let me give you three practical steps. Oh, check this. They're the same as last week, so you should remember them. You should be easy to do them. Memorize a scripture about this principle of truth. Gave you a bunch last week. Gave you a bunch this week. So much it's a good thing that those notes are going to be in the podcast episode and on the website. You can go back and get all those scriptures. Memorize a scripture. Here's a tip. Start with the short ones. Start with the easy ones. Memorize that scripture. Let the truth sink into your spirit. Taste and see that God is good. Memorize scripture about this principle. Second, Write what you believe to be true about God doing the impossible. Write it down. Thumb punch some notes into your phone. Text it to a friend. Post it. Handwrite it. Write down what you believe to be true 
about God doing the impossible. And then third, list what impossible prayer topics you have. List them. List what impossible prayer topics you have. Chris, do you come and play as we close, please? I want to close us in prayer. First, I want to read you two prayers on this subject that I found really helpful. The first one is from M. Moran Weston, heavily involved in the civil rights movement. And he prayed this about maybe what you're feeling right now. Oh God, we acknowledge that too often we have not had confidence in thy power to bring light out of darkness, good out of evil. By faith, we believe through thy chosen one, Jesus the carpenter, people's leader, chosen one, prisoner, defendant, condemned man, and confident man, that good will indeed overcome evil. Love overcome hate, and life overcome death. It's a prayer of being honest about what we don't believe. Making a decision to believe and asking God for help with it. One of my favorite short books about the contradiction that we can feel in hearing these words from Jesus that just seem impossible. The little book With Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray. And here's a prayer on this subject from it. Jesus, I hear you say things that are beyond my comprehension. I can do nothing but accept them with simple childlike faith as your gift to me. Forgive me for not believing your promise. Teach me to pray in a way that glorifies you. One time when I was in this moment, a friend of mine and Joel's named Anthony. Anthony came to faith in Jesus while he was locked up in Orange County Pen for counterfeiting. He found Jesus in a radical way. He was praying with me over something that seemed impossible that I just did not have faith for. And in a way that only a real friend can. One of the groomsmen at my wedding, he said, Ben, you're coming to God with a Dixie cup. You need to ask bigger. Let's close in prayer. Lord, just like your followers, we say, we believe and help us in our unbelief. We're going to be honest before you, God, about where we struggle. We're going to be honest before you about the questions we have, even about the words we heard today about what we doubt, about what we don't believe, about what we struggle with. We're going to be honest with you with our pain, with our disappointment, with our discouragement, with our questions of why would you allow some things to happen. God, would you help us to turn to you, receiving forgiveness, receiving grace, your supernatural love to energize our spirits. And just like those believers did, even when we are faced with a tragedy, to still come to You and ask You to do the impossible. Lord, let faith arise in us. Let faith arise in us as we get specific about this stuff. 
Lord, I ask right now by Your Holy Spirit that You would come and minister to each person. From the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, they would feel faith rising. They would sense spiritual strength that is drawn from the love of Jesus. That we would be changed for the good by a personal relationship with You. I thank You for it today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming today. I'm so glad that you're here. I want to remind you that we're, we're setting up water to drink and a little extra for those who would like to fellowship at the park right across the street. A great way for us to spend a little bit more time together in the shade with the breeze where it's a little bit cooler than it is in here right now. We'll invite you to that time of fellowship. Thank you for being here today. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.